You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we will be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. I'm JR. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Simon. And this is probably quite short because even though we've just been through all that, we are running rather late tonight. It's got, obviously, we, the episode we're going to be talking about, there's a Star Trek reference. <clears throat> there is. Because mm. we're here to talk about oh, closing time. Yeah. In the lift. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, a very telephone. direct Star Trek reference. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> they mentioned, yeah, they mentioned, they Star, mentioned Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. But before we get on to closing time, um, we've got another edition of Logan's Look. So here are Logan's comments on the second half of season 17. Nightmare of Eden. This story was okay, but it didn't make any sense how the spaceships got stuck together in the first place or why people were able to walk into the CET machine projections. And then Dad Adrian butts in and says, I think Logan missed the point about the instability in the CET machine being caused by the crash of the two spaceships. Back to Logan. The mandrels were good, but they were a lot weaker than most other monsters because they were driven back by gunshots, which normally wouldn't affect other monsters. Score, 7 out of 10. He makes a good point there, actually. Yeah, yeah it is. With the sort of monsters... With a more animalistic... <laughs> and some monsters gunfire has no effect on so when you get one that it does mm. it seems uh, as if that monster's somehow less efficient or whatever than the others anyway the horns of Nyman the story was good but it was a bit silly I don't think the great journey of life made much sense I like the way that people had to shout in the name of the Sconon Empire when they entered the power complex and I liked Soldi's staff. I thought the Nymons were quite good. Score, 5 out of 10. And Sharda, and they watched the DVD with the mixture of life and animation. I think it is dangerous when the sphere breaks into little pieces on the ground. It was weird that Sharda was a prison planet of the Time Lords with a small part of it being the jail while the rest of it just seemed like a normal planet that we don't see much of. I'm glad that we had the animation so that we can understand the story better than we would without it, but it didn't tell us where Skagra came from. I liked how the Doctor took over Skagra's ship and tricked the ship's computer into imprisoning Skagra in his own ship. Score, 8 out of 10. Wow. In some... Yeah. <clears throat> well, just on that point, I wonder if... The fact that it was a mixture of um, live action and animation might have affected Logan's impression of it. Yeah, but also he's picked up on some really some real Adam Adams esque story points. To yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's across six episodes and it's a slow story. But I wonder if the going might keep his attention by yes, the keep his stuff. attention by flipping between the two. Mm. So I wonder if maybe that actually had a positive effect. It worked for me. Mm. Anyway, in summary, Season 17, Logan's favourite stories of the season were Destiny of the Daleks and Sharda, while his least favourite was City of Death. My favourite story of the season, says Dad, is the superb City of Death, <laughs> one of my all-time favourites, while my least favourite is the Horns of Nymon. So this is now the second season in a row where Logan's least favourite story is my favourite story. Oh, no, he's off to have a DNA test. <laughs> <laughs> However, I can understand why City of Death didn't rate that highly with him as its great points include the sparkling dialogue, the great characters and the humour, the location filming in Paris in the first episode and Dudley Simpson's score. All of these things probably don't make much of an impression on an eight-year-old. And unlike the rest of the season, there is a shortage of monsters in City of Death. I was roughly Logan's age when I first saw it, and I don't rem remember it making much of an impression on me. And that's from Adrian Sturrock. Logan liked Pirate Planet, didn't he, as well? I seem to um, Yeah, I think so. Hmm. <clears throat> Interesting. Hmm. Well, you're going for the Douglas Adams 
No, I'm just wondering, oh, okay. yeah, because there is a kind of a cartoon-esque quality yes, and yeah. slightly nuts quality to yeah. it as well. Wait and see what he thinks about Warrior's Gate. <laughs> oh, wait, he's about to enter. He's about to enter the least sort of... Oh, dear. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, but then you say but that. But he might like um, uh, Vampire Story. Decay. Yeah. No, like Megalos. Because yeah. Megalos is a bit mad. Mm. And actually, Warrior's Gate, I could, well, we'll find out, but Warrior's yeah. Gate, I can imagine that appealing to kids because yeah. of the odd yeah. quality. Mm. Yeah. It did to me. I love that odd <coughs> I suppose it depends. <clears throat> I suppose it depends how you take to these things. I suppose within about half an hour, or whatever. Mm. You'll either know whether it's really off-putting or whether you're lapping it up. But we'll find out. Anyway, closing time. Matt. I was Matt. <laughs> uh, how long since you last saw it? And what did you think of it first time? <laughs> I think I last, I last saw it maybe a year after transmission. I think I okay. went back to this one. Um, and when I first saw it, I liked it. I've always, well, until recently, I've been a fan of Gareth Roberts' stories. So uh, how many how many has he done now? Oh, oh go on, about half a dozen. So, so I've liked them yeah. all bar one, I think. Which one didn't you like? I didn't like the caretaker. Really, really don't. <gasps> what about <gasps> but what about God. Planet of the Dead? Because don't forget that's him too. Yeah. Okay, I didn't entirely like that, <laughs> but 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 apart from that, I like the humour. I like the Gareth Roberts humour, so, and and I like this one. I liked. At the time, I liked the dead was a bit short on it, wasn't it? Yeah, on the humour. Yeah, it was a bit short on humour and drama. Yeah, yeah. But um, but caretaker had plenty of the humour. I didn't think it was quite as I don't know. It just fell flat for me. The caretaker. Um, Have you been back to the caretaker as well? Have you tried it again? No, maybe you should. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, Anyway, closing time. um, Yeah, I found it funny. I liked I liked the sort of the the slightly smaller scale of the story, especially after a few weeks of sort of big, big sort of Amy and Rory kind of development stories. This one felt like a breathing space before the end of the end of the season. Um, and I liked all the all the stuff with I mean Matt Smith. Yeah, yeah, I liked it at the time. All right, I'll get we'll, into we'll get into it. Yeah, 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 Simon, uh, on transmission. Um, I I quite liked it. Oh, okay. I didn't think it, I didn't think it was amazing or anything like that, but I, I quite liked it. I thought I thought it was a little bit. I don't know what the word is really. The Cybermen. It just all felt a little bit small scale. Small scale. Yeah. Well, we'll the... get into that as well because I think that's a big talking point. Mm. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Ah. Uh... Yeah, I don't remember it being an outstanding episode, and I quite liked it. I didn't like it. I didn't like it as much as James Corden's previous episode. I see, because I preferred it to the Lodger mm. by a fair bit, okay. to be honest, on transmission. Mm. And obviously, I saw it in my great Stephen Moffat rewatch whenever that was. But yeah, I actually really liked it on transmission. And now, I think James Corden's better in this one. Mm. Yeah, um, I think he is as well, actually. But yeah, I didn't take away as much from it as I did. Did the, you get the lodger? You get more of a sense of the chemistry between James Corden and Matt Smith mm. in this one. Yeah, so it's, it's obvious that they've built up a kind of an off-screen friendship. Mm. Well, no, they already had one. I tell you what, I think the difference is the first one, the lodger, is about James Corden and Daisy. Oh, what's she called? Daisy Haggard, right? I was going to say Daisy Ridley, but obviously that's Star Wars. I think it's Daisy Haggard. I might be wrong. Um, That was about those two and the chemistry between those two and the Doctor was playing kind of third wheel. Whereas in this one, it's about the Doctor and James Corden. So I think that's the difference Hmm. in terms of where the chemistry is because I think they were already great friends before the first one, which is why he was in the first one, I think. It was something to do with History Boys, probably. Yeah, I'm not sure they were actually in the History Boys at the same time, but I'm pretty sure they met, and it probably would have been because of that, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, go on then, what did we think of it now? 
anybody? Uh, I don't think my opinions change that much. Oh, really? If I'm honest, uh, I hated the ending more than last time. Oh, really? I was a bit more accepting last time, and this time I just thought, Ugh. even though there's that line ex- explaining <laughs> explaining what happened, it still feels a kind of a bit. I don't know. I think I they embrace they embrace the fact that they they know that it's a very rapid. Very kind of engineered ending. Yeah. And they, they kind of make a point of that and make a joke out of it. Where he starts explaining it in yeah. great detail and just go, I mean, oh, yeah, they're, whatever. Their heads blow up and all that. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I can't turn around and say, oh, that's the wrong way it should have happened because that's another style of story, isn't it? And it's it's great and kids probably love it. but mm. and, a, See, and, and a certain fan would probably love it. But I. Me being that one. <laughs> you love that. I love the ending. Oh, I really? think it's the best ending to a Cyberman story ever. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back to that, maybe. I think it may be just the <clears throat> speed of it, that it's just kind of like... It does feel... Pop, 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 and then they're out. It, and, uh, it feels they compress the ending because they've got that the River Song coda after yeah, it. Yeah, maybe. So maybe. everything feels like it, it's been sort of mm. squeezed in a bit. Whereas actually... There's, that cannot be the case because this episode is like four minutes shorter than last week's and four minutes shorter than the week before's. Yeah. So if they got the freedom to be 50 minutes if they want, well, I don't, there's no reason to stop at 45. And I, I don't mean that they were forced to <clears throat> compress the ending. No, I just, mean, I just is, mean it feels compressed because then you get the sudden change of pace. With the with the slow code. Well, that's what I'm saying. It might feel that way, but it obviously isn't that that Hmm. was what was in their thinking. Yeah. So that's just an impression. I I don't feel. I don't feel any of that is in the writing. I really don't. I I think that's kind of just stylistically how it's done, and also the bit with the bit down the middle middle of the mask, you know, where the light reappears and it splits open again. Uh, Some of it's figurative rather than meant to be taken literally Abs- no then... absolutely absolutely and I appreciate that as to whether it appeals to my sensibilities I don't think it does but that no, doesn't mean to say I think there's anything wrong with it I just it's not my sort of thing I really like it because mm. we're forever being told the Cybermen are going to take your emotions mm. and we're forever being told they're going to make you like them and we're forever being told you know a well prepared meal and all this sort of stuff Yet when do we ever actually see the emotional thing mm. being the thing that defeats the Cybermen? Maybe in the Russell T. Davis one, but that was such a mess that it didn't really it didn't really work. Mm. But here I thought, well, finally at last they've gone there and they've done the thing that should always have been the thing. Well they did they did with the Russell T. Davis one they turned off the inhibitors but didn't i'm, they? But I'm yeah. thinking of a different a different one with yvonne hartman where she where she sort of fights the so she gets yeah, yeah. and that was that was sort of emotion defeating it was yeah yeah and done really well and sort of subtly with mm. a teardrop yeah and that in the was... same way as the brigadier and um danny pink in yes Death in Heaven. Yeah, same know. thing. Oh, yeah. So great. Simon what I meant it? was, though. Hey, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I love. No, yeah, I agree. But uh, no, what I meant was, this is the time where the only time where we see mm. them saving the day just yeah. by somebody pushing back on the emotions. Yeah. And this, and the way. Okay, let's get it over and done with now. And the way it's the way the scene plays out is because there are so few Cybermen, they're all sort of tied in together until they've got so. It gets passed along the line. Yeah, that's a were. very fair point. Yeah. So I, that, it really worked for me. Mm. I think if there's an issue, it's that they put Night Terrors in the second half of the series instead of where it was supposed to originally be in the first half, and they both essentially have the same ending. I think. I think there's a there's also an argument for the fact that this is quite, as you say, a figurative and simple storyline, and when we've actually got used to some pretty sophisticated episodes right the way through so to have something which has resolved that kind of mm. uh, not magically but yeah you know I, I, overly neatly 
Maybe. I mean, it's, it, they do. I don't tie like using the word up, simplistic because they it's do not tie simplistic. up a lot of good, a lot of loose ends. Yeah. In a very rapid space of dialogue. The, the writing is watertight. So it's keeping the explosion in one place because mm. it's protected by a blue box thing. Yeah. Which, so of they, course, they has been of, set up earlier in the episode, so it doesn't come out of nowhere, but... Did they set it up in the, earlier in the episode? They mention it earlier in the episode, because okay. when he says the name of the thing, he's called... I'm sh- I think they did. Because right. when he says the name of the thing, I'm sure he's calling back to something he's mentioned. Okay. But, again, again, it kind of makes sense, because if there is a Cyberman ship, mm. you know, 50 metres below the Earth or whatever, there would have to be something there, otherwise it would have turned up. I didn't get the sense it was that deep. I think exactly, that, was, that yeah. was one thing maybe in the in the direction that, that he, tunnel should have looked longer. The tunnel, like I was always expecting him to slip and and do a sort of a yeah, yeah. water shoot thing, which wouldn't have been too difficult to engineer. But it was basically. I think it was made on cheap. As the one thing, floor yeah. down from, so it's the basement. <laughs> but when you see where he comes and the cyber ship is in mm. this, I mean, you don't get. A terrific shot of it but essentially you've got a huge cyber ship in a big cave yeah that's been yeah. down there for god knows how long mm. so he has to, he has to be a fair way down mm-hmm. and there has to be something protecting or there has to be a barrier between that ship and what's going on above otherwise all the things that people do underground somebody would have it yeah. would have shown up at some point because I mean, they use all sorts of sensors for various things these days, don't they? Mm. So it kind of that kind of made sense to me. The whole thing basically made sense to me. I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit, um, it is a bit outlandish. It is a bit suspend your disbelief. Well, yeah, Amy turn up in the same department store is quite. A... I mean, that was a lovely pur- moment. That's on it's purpose, a lovely moment. That's purposely because he's in the middle of having a conversation about the universe. Oh yeah, I mean it's a, things. it's a story. Mm. So this is the doctor that's a, who's about to meet his destiny. So he's being pushed by, by this kind of immutable of force destiny, towards yeah. his end. Mm. So the idea that the universe then plonks things in front. Oh, of Oh yeah, him, no, I got it. That's kind of I got it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that you know if you're gonna accept one thing, you're gonna accept the other yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. And this was an episode where all the explanations were there, but. They focused more on the characters and the comedy, so that the explanations and everything were sort of shoved into the background a bit. So, I mean, it's all there mm. if you're the kind of person who needs to see the explanations. Mm. But if you are happy to go along with it, I mean, it was just a terrifically enjoyable episode. I thought a lot of the comedy was great. And I thought, so I liked it a little bit less. This time, Go on. than the first time, I thought the comedy was great in the first half, but then, but then I think they'd used their jokes up by the second half. So there was a lot of sort of <coughs> repeated jokes, and I think, I think they almost so there were some jokes that they used in the first half that then they quickly repeated, when they could have just delayed the repetition and brought them back in the second half just to sort of spread them out a bit. So oh, I, maybe, I yeah. laughed more. I laughed more in the first twenty minutes than I did in the second. But then you'd expect to anyway with Doctor Who, because in the second half the story kicks in as yeah. well. Yeah. It's pretty compact as well, because then I realised I got to a certain stage in the story where I suddenly realised there was a heck of there was still half the episode left to go. Mm. I know we've got that big chunk at the end. Yeah, but it. Well, yeah, we were sitting there watching it because mm. I've just literally watched it with Matt, mm. and I. And at one point, I was thinking, crikey, we've got through some stuff. We must be about halfway through. Mm, but mm. I'm thinking, but there's still a lot to come, so we can't be halfway through. So I looked at the clock, and we were ten minutes in, and I was thinking, <laughs> Christ, how did they pack all that into ten minutes? Mm, mm. But they do. They do get through quite a lot of story mm. in that. And it's very light on its feet. Yeah, yeah. It felt quite RTD to me. I mean, so, it was, well, we were stuff talking... Like the Cybermat attack and... and but the opening is... Just like the opening of Rose, mm. you sort of you sort of expect Wilson to, or yeah, Wilson yeah. the electrician to be around at some point, or mm. Graham Norton at the very least. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. I think I'm a little bit so I'm. I find it difficult to watch James Corden now <coughs> because James Corden, when I mm-hmm. first watched it, wasn't, wasn't the James who he Corden is now. we have now. Yeah, and James Corden, who we have now. 
I'm struggling a little bit with everything I've seen him in because he's, I mean, he's an American television presenter he's now. Really good, in and this he's really yeah. well. He's re- he's a really good American television presenter. But the problem is to be an American television presenter in the sort of thing he does, you need to be a little bit smug and oily to be a, <laughs> to make a success of it. And I think he's quite good at turning that on. And but he's, but he's, he's yeah. I remember him. I remember liking him in this back in the time. So I'm, you know, I've got to sort of suspend what I now feel about him. I mean, everybody well, like, does when they go back to this. It's quite a measured performance, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think he, he like I, one of you said. I think it was you, Simon, said he was better in here than he was in the lodger. Was it? Mm. I think he's much better here than he is in the lodger. And I didn't think he was at all bad in the lodger. I thought no, he was good in the no. lodger. He's put under more threat in this than the lodger, I think. So that when the Cybermen take over him, he's able to... That's his opportunity to to give a performance. And not just that, he's proactive in this, where he was reactive in the lodger. Hmm. And I think that makes a big difference because it allows the actor to sort of uh, it allows the actor to sort of project a performance you, you can see why he's got to where he is today as to yeah, what you yeah. like where he is today that's another thing but yeah you can see yeah if I have one it. issue with this it's the way it does sideline Daisy Haggard I know it's, just... well, it's almost it's almost like the second part of a trilogy that never happened yeah yeah so I was sort of you're kind of I mean, waiting for the third part where maybe the caretaker in, would yeah. be better if it was the third part of the trilogy. It feels like Capaldians called them together. I gave would be take a ten out of ten, so it couldn't be better for me. As to whether it would really be the caretaker. Wow. Yeah, I know. I think it's meaty. I think it's brilliant. Okay. I think um, this is quite quite meaty, mm. but it disguises it really well. One thing I really liked about this was the because people are. The Cybermen stories, basically all the way through, but in the new series, people are saying, why aren't we seeing Cybermen like we saw Revenge of the Cybermen, where, what is it, Tom Baker calls them a bunch of tin pots in a tin pot or whatever it is. Tin pot soldiers. In a skulking around the universe in the back end of a dustbin or something, whatever. In Revenge of the Cybermen, they're the last of the Cybermen, they're desperate. And people have been asking for a Cybermen story where you get to see the last of the Cybermen and they're desperate. And actually, the next Doctor kind of was that because that was the story of some Cybermen who'd been left behind. But obviously that didn't satisfy that need because I I think although that story was that, you didn't really get that impression because they've got this bloody great Cyber King thing. Hmm. Hmm. Whereas here, you actually do get half a dozen really desperate, half you know, rusted Cybermen or whatever, who really do look like they're right on the edge of desperation and they're literally coming up into the store and taking people out of the store in basically broad daylight, Mm. which is not the most logical thing to do because that's a way to get yourself caught, right? Mm. So these are Cybermen who are desperate and right on the edge of, you know complete defeat mm. so it's uh, a shame we've had such a long period with those age of still cybermen though. i think it does a real disservice mm. i think they're so mechanical and all the shunt 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 which kind of works with age of steel but anything on from there yeah i think there's a disconnection between what the cybermen are and they've remained they've remained quite consistent but and cybermen have never been consistent in the past one of the things about the cybermen is well, the, every the single appearance. It almost feels like, yeah. from the moment Stephen Moffat took over and the Cybermen stories from that point on, they've kind of bastardised what those Age of Steel, Steel Cybermen to make them more what they want them to be. Mm-hmm. But actually, the design and everything doesn't play to that. Yeah, and I know people don't necessarily like the new design, but actually, I think it's far more. I don't know. Weirdly organic. Yeah, there's mm. got to be an organic element to them. I don't think there really is in either, to be honest. Mm. But then they are what they are. Mm. And you, you well, you're not the biggest Cybermen fan anyway, are you? So. No, I'm not. And that's probably why I like this and mm. Dark Order, Death in Heaven. Those are my two. And now, of course, World Enough and Time, mm. I think, does it really well as well. Mm. 
Does yeah, see, I love the Pandora open Cyberman, you know, the whole zombie-esque. Yeah, Cyber. yeah, yeah. But that's not a Cyberman story. Not really, no, no. But, but this, I, t- this kind of takes up bits of that, that sort of... The Moffat Cybermen are really good with that kind of fusion of sort of skin and bone and metal, particularly with the cyber mat in this. I really like the sort of the live teeth inside. I like the fact yeah. his top, it's his top jaw that, uh, that moves. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Looks like a muskrat. <laughs> because it has to go up because of the design, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of the cyber mats? Uh, As an updating, they're kind of... They, I think the original sort of reaction to it was they're a bit too cute. But I kind of... The the fact that they are that cute kind of makes them even yeah. worse. I like the fact that their attack is no less convincing than the old ones, really, is it? So I don't know. I thought a couple the, yeah. of the special effects when they were after Craig. Mm. Uh, I thought the special Again, effects were back to were Rose, good. aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. But it was much better than the Auton arm in Rose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It stops midair. But the special effect where it jumps on him, it really leaps. Yeah. And the teeth are just, are really, yeah. I find them quite creepy. Yeah. And I, I like think that's them. how you get around. I mean, it's, it's what they should have done, that sort of thing with the cyber shades in the next Doctor. Mm. Which are notoriously, surely, such an awful conception. I've never quite understood They've got the those cyber handles. shades. They've got those handles you could hold on to. If they had little yeah. teeth like the cyber mat, but the, they, but the, you could be holding one off, couldn't you? But you'd have handles to but hold they on. They are to. just bit men under monkey suits. Yeah, <laughs> with, with faces. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, I don't know what they idea. remind me of. I keep thinking about the monkeys in Wizard of Oz. Or yeah, yeah, they're a bit like that. But I'm not sure that was the intention. Or possibly, what was the sequel to Wizard of Oz? Um, Return to Oz. Return to Oz. Yeah, with those wheelies type things and yeah. That's true. Yeah, they weren't great. Yeah. Mm. I like these, though. I think it's a shame we've not seen them again since. What have we seen? We've seen Cyber Mites. Yeah, so, I can understand the Cyber Mites thing. I think it's a shame they went Cyber Mats as well in that story. Yeah. There was rumour yeah. for it. I thought so. Yeah. We've not really had an opportunity after that, but I thought they could have been in there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's about time Chris Chibnall brings them back. Yeah, I wonder if we'll kind of reverse engineer it all and come away from these sleek Cybermen and take them back a bit. Well, we still, we've already got that with World Enough and... No, what's it? World, World Enough, enough Time. Mm. Mm. So we've got a sort of back to basics. But the thing about... I mean, the thing about the World Enough and Time <laughs> is it gives Chris Chibnall the choice of now going whichever way he wants. Because he can either stick with the new ones, go right back to the old ones... Or come up with his own thing that's in between, which will not seem illogical now that we've had both. But ends even of the beyond, spectrum. even beyond the design of it, it's what Stephen Moffat said about Cybermen. He's yeah. made it clear that Cybermen aren't a race of villains; they're just the natural evolution of any humanoid species. So, at some point, either in a parallel universe or in this universe, if you're a humanoid species, you will end up as with a race of Cybermen representing you. Which means you can have Mondasian Cybermen, you can have Whatever, Cybermen from yeah. Parallel Earth, you can have Cybermen in Victorian London. Mm. So they're kind of a Borg. kind of free to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> Borg. And it also, yeah, them. and it also depends what he wants to do with them because a lot of the times in the classic series they just used them as a race of metal monsters, right? <coughs> and if he wants to do that, he's free to do that too. Mm. So, because now we've had all these different Cybermen in the new series. That's opened the gates for whatever you want to do with them, really, hasn't it? I suppose the difference is what their purpose is, which is always to propagate, isn't it, and expand and trouble is species. Yeah, trouble is in the new series we had that with the Daleks in series one, mm. and then again in series four with Davros saying I took them out of my own internal organs or whatever it was. So, the Cybermen had already been outdone by the Daleks, even by the end of the first series of the revival. Well, it's only something like World Enough in Time yeah, that, yeah. That, that does what Cybermen should, do. should be. That's yeah, the yeah. unique selling point, which is they're a medical, they're the ultimate in medical enhancement. Mm. And I think and Dark they tell a story Water. To that 
yeah. did the same thing, but came at it from a different angle. Yeah. With Dark Water, it was like she'd appropriated the technology. Mm. It was like she'd stole the designs. I think I said this at the time. It was like she'd stole the designs from Nissan or whatever and gone off and made her own version of the Micro or something mm. like that. That was what she was doing there. But the great thing about that was it gave you an opportunity to see that process. Mm. Yeah. And that's what we'd been... And this was like the entire opposite end of the spectrum from that. So De- Dark Water and World Enough and Time were showing sort of Cybermen origins, mm. how Cybermen come about, and this is showing you the very far end of the Cybermen journey when there's no Cybermen left. But it's, also, the... it's also showing you the emotional processing yes, of yes. Cybermen. It's a story about about the emotional relationship between James Corden and the, the baby and how that, yeah, how yeah, that yeah. develops into or how that feeds into a Cyberman story. And actually, yeah, people one of the criticisms of this is the Cybermen are hardly in it. What was the point of having the Cybermen there? But you've just said what the point of having the Cybermen there was because this is a story about a man growing to have an emotional bond with his child. It's extremely appropriate, isn't it? The whole idea of men, put simply, getting back in contact with their their emotions. I mean, we're all raised to get rid of them, aren't we? As men, the stereotypical man is, is, (laughs) you know, it's wrong to show your emotions. But it's also paralleling Craig with the Doctor, because there's Mm. that scene with the Doctor and the baby, where this sort of the oldest creature on the earth is talking to one of the newest creatures on the earth, mm. and the oldest creature of the earth doesn't have a future. He's he's one day away from death. Mm. The newest creature is however many weeks from from birth, mm. and so and so it's Craig and the Doctor. Craig has that Craig has that time to pass on what he knows to mm. this new creature mm. and the doctor's run out of that time so the doctor has no one to no one to inherit anything or to no one to hand over to mm. Mm. should we talk a little bit about the doctor then okay because he is really hammering it home that he's got one day left to live in this episode so that brings us back to the uh, series arc and it was my contention that in the first episode, he does die. Mm. And then they change time. Yeah, that's what I think. And at this point in the series, it seems to me blatantly obvious from what he's saying in this episode that he is expecting to die. And we see in the next episode that she changes her mind and doesn't kill him, mm. doesn't go through with it. And that's what causes time to ripple, to fall apart. And then they come up with a plan. But I think at this point, he doesn't have that plan. They only come up no. with that plan. After. I suppose we'll find out when we watch it. Which it's will physically be different. It'll time. be interesting to watch them next to each other because I'm sure it, play, yeah, it does, as you say, it does play out differently the second time. Yeah. I, st- I still have issues with this whole... The fact that regeneration seems to start to happen and then she shoots him again, mm. which is brilliant from a dramatic point of view as to whether it, it doesn't chronologically makes sense does it well once we find out that he's the last yeah yeah it doesn't but at this point when they were making it they didn't and actually you can hand oh, wave it's utterly shocking it's still, it's still <coughs> you can still hand wave it away by saying even if he's in his last regeneration mm. his body would still try to regenerate even if he wasn't capable of so you get a little bit of that energy mm. and then it would just sort of potter out yeah well, it happens to people of a certain age doesn't it I'm not sure about that. <laughs> says, says Simon <laughs> with this look of horrible experience on his yeah. face. I'm not sure about Madame Kavarian. I think so. Th- my view of so what I assume about Mar- Madame Kavarian is she's a sort of a religious zealot mm. who thinks she's doing this for for the good of the universe, but she's performed like she's a cackling villain. Yeah, but yeah. she's really enjoying what she's doing and she's relishing it. And I'm not sure that was, I'm not sure that sort of fits in with what she should be sort of begrudgingly, she was sort of forced to do this to River Song. Yeah, but if you look at things like um, sort of these films about, I did a Rosemary's Baby the other day, didn't I? 
and the um, Castavets. Yes. They're essentially religious zealots, but on the devil's side, worshipping yes. the devil. Yeah. Well, she's like a, an equivalent to that. Yes. So... But they kind of underplay it. So that's, that's well, they do in that particular instance. So Cassavetti's sort of, sort of is acting like he's reluctantly doing this to his wife, but he's doing it because a higher power is is obliging him to do it. She's acting like she's really enjoying doing well, what she's she doing. Well, she is, yeah. And I think that's the. I don't think that's the script. I think it might be the performance that I have a problem with. I think that's a bit of the old black and white, good versus evil. Doctor mm. Who's still a kids' show, even if we don't yeah. think it is yeah. coming out. Yeah. I agree, but, uh, though. But, but then I think even for kids, she'd be more creepy if she was... Maybe. She was a bit more... And I can't remember what she was like. It's obviously the a choice they made. Yeah. yeah. I think she was a bit... I think she was the same in previous episodes. Right, right. Well, also giving her the nursery rhyme to speak sort of incites that as well. Because The nursery rhyme is where... Well, we'll talk about this when we've seen The Red Wedding of Riversong. Mm. But I think the nursery rhyme is quite important in terms of the motivation. Okay. I think, because I've made this allusion elsewhere, but I don't think I've made it on the podcast. To me, I think the plot, the Kaverian silence plot, is essentially a version of the omen in Doctor Who. I think it's... Because uh, people say, oh, why does it need to be a spacesuit? And actually, we covered that the other day, didn't we? The spacesuit is automated to kill the Doctor... And River Song's sort of uh, tele-automated to psycho-automated to kill the Doctor. And so both of them are there as a fail-safe in case the other one fails. And then why in this particular place at this particular time? And I think it's the same as in something like The Omen, where the child can only be born in a particular place at a particular time under particular circumstances. And then at the end of the film, the child can only be killed in a particular place at a particular time in particular circumstances. And what I mean about the nursery rhyme is they've obviously tried to kill the Doctor before because they did that at the end of Series Mm 5 in um, The Big Bang, right? Yeah. And that didn't pan out. So I think between... And I think this isn't spelled out, and so I think maybe that's where the issue is. I think between the end of Series 5 and the end of Series 6, they have come across this nursery rhyme and figured that they should have had the nursery rhyme all along because the nursery rhyme is telling them what they ought to have done and now that's what they're doing it's probably even, if you see what I mean it's probably even more than that because they exist outside they know the doctor dies so it's the nursery rhyme but also this kind of it's not a prophecy the it's a it's, record yeah it's yeah. a it's a record because they exist out of time. So they have to recreate this death in order to kill the right. They have to recreate the death in order to kill the doctor. And obviously before the big bang, that was the previous universe. And then the universe gets rebooted. Well, and that's and also obviously yeah. the, the, the doctor's death. That's the paradox delayed. as well, isn't it? Yeah. Because they're killing the doctor to stop him blowing up the universe. Yeah. But it's them who blew up the universe when they were trying to kill the doctor. Yeah. And that has happened yeah. rather than being still to come. Yeah. So the whole thing is a huge paradox. But it also paradox. kind of makes sense of... Because <coughs> of, there's a whole sort of string of... The Doctor has prophecies of his death. So Trenzalore. Mm. Trenzalore is the next sort of iteration after this. And that must be... That's just the nature of being a time traveller. That your death has existed... Your death and birth and life exist all at the same time. Well, yeah. And so your death will cause such ripples in time that it will create mythologies... And this, these mythologies eventually will come. Will that you become aware of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's and like um, the thing about time travel is because <coughs> one of the things they've said is, or one of the things that comes up is, so why doesn't if Truth dropped off a companion, why can't he go back and pick them up again? Mm. And the the answer always comes down to he could potentially pick up anybody at any point in any of their lives. But you can't, you just can't, yeah. because otherwise you'd have a TARDIS with 1,500 people in it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You have to move on, and he has to move on. But it comes down to the same thing. Sarah Jane leaves in Deadly Assassin. He could just go back in time and pick her up before she even meets him in the Time Warrior. There's nothing to actually stop him. <coughs> but, it's, but it's interesting how the, the death of the Doctor, the deaths of the Doctor... Like That's the trans, what I mean. Trenzalore 
becomes this kind of currency. So it's it's always like a deep, dark secret because if the wrong people like Kavarian or the master or the great intelligence get that information, then, they, the then they can engineer a situation that looks like the death of the Doctor, which in the hope that it will become reality so they can lure the Doctor to Trenzalore or they can put River Song into a into a, I mean, that's a, it's a convoluted one, but put River Song into a Apollo spacesuit underneath a lake in America because this, this is what the Because that's what the nursery rhyme says. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> but that's why I think they do it. Yeah. I think yeah, they're fulfilling criteria that's been laid down, no matter how ridiculous, just like at the start and at the end of The Omen. I think this is Stephen Moffat essentially doing The Omen. Yeah. But yeah, I just I don't think I made that thought very clear when I was talking about the companions. And what I'm also saying is, the Doctor travels in time, so he's around before any of them are born and after all of them are died, mm. and while they're alive. And it's the same with him, well, because is... wherever he travels, if he goes back a very long way in time, he's gone back to before he was born. Mm. If he goes a very long way in the future, he's gone to after he's died. So there's no different. He's no different from them, even yes. though he has a longer life. Yeah. But it's also, it's also, and they, they were talking about this when, when he found out that the brigadier had died, when he tried to phone him in the nursing home and there was no response, that everybody's always alive, everybody's effectively immortal until he accidentally finds out they've died. And then suddenly that's, that's it. Well, that's, Until the cyber brigadier, but that's Australia. The, but that's the sad, I suppose, <clears throat> aspect of being a time traveller is you know that all of these people will only live X amount of years mm. and it doesn't matter how often you visit them during those years. And even after you've learned they've died, you could potentially still go back to while they were still alive, but that wouldn't stop the fact that they will die. It's yeah. very interesting the idea that relationships for the Doctor and for anyone are linear. Hmm. So he can't... It's this whole idea of... You know, it's a choice, a, isn't it? You're, yeah, you're in a relationship with someone <coughs> and you sort of think, if I had a time machine, I'd go back to when... Mm. in the early days, mm. when that person hardly knew me and everything was fresh and all that sort mm. of thing. And there's a reason why you don't... I mean, obviously you can't, but there's lots Would of reasons why you wouldn't because you both progress through the relationship. Yeah. But, but this is the. This is also why it's. This is where it's spelt out in when Amy and Rory leave. Eventually. Yeah, yeah. I was because just bring they, that because up. they see the gravestone, and that's as soon as you've got sort of documented. Because the Doctor going going to five thousand AD, everybody's dead. Then Sarah Jane's dead. This is depressing. But Tegan's <laughs> Everybody's dead. dead Harry's, Dave. Ooh, yeah, Ace is dead. Yeah. Depending on where she is. Yeah. But because he because he's not looking for the evidence of that death, then they're still alive because mm. it's in the Doctor's personal time stream. And in the Angels Take Manhattan, the big complaint was, oh, come on, couldn't he just land outside New York and take a bus in to go and fetch them? He sees the graves. Mm. She's reading from the book that says when they arrived in New York, they never saw him again. Yeah. If he goes back, he change, he changes all that and he's listening to her telling him that that's what happens. Yeah. And that's what happens. And I think there's a psycho- <laughs> there's a psychological component as mm. well. I yes, think, yes. I think I think he's he's very good he's a, as a character he and she is very good at fooling himself that people he travel with travels with are immortal. Mm. And unless they're annoying like Adric in which case it doesn't really matter and they get over it in time flight. But He's very good at fooling himself that that they're immortal, that 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 they'll live forever, and this is one of the. I mean, this and this is something else. In closing time, he kind of he kind of believes Craig when Craig tells him that being next to him is the safest place in the universe. It's obviously not the safest place. No. Craig should have taken the baby and gone to London or just <laughs> disappeared, but instead Craig takes the baby and goes to the shop, which is right above us. Um, but the Doctor kind of believes that. Because the Doctor wants to believe that, I think. I think Stephen Moffat, uh, during the Stephen Moffat period... <coughs> Sorry about this cough, I don't know where it's come from, but I can't get rid of it. 
has a very good line on getting into the psychology of the Doctor. Mm. Whereas in the classic series, they never obviously tried. And with Russell T. Davis, he tended to focus on a particular aspect of it. But I think in the last few years, they've made a very good, a very subtle and very light, because you don't really notice it unless you're looking for it. But I think they've made a very good attempt at getting into different areas of it and and examining different aspects of it. Hmm. But like I say, very lightly, with a lot of humour necessarily maybe in something like this, so they don't even notice it's happening. Mm. I think there's also a philosophical element to it as well, which is that it's like that line of that Yoda does uh, before Luke goes off at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, when Luke sees the has the vision, doesn't he? And he mm. sees them, his friends suffering, and he goes off to save them. And Yoda says, if you go there, you'll destroy everything for which they've suffered. Mm. And it's the same thing. It's like if, if the Doctor went back and changed... If yeah, yeah. somebody's died, thinks, oh, I'll just save them. That kind of... It's all about stories, isn't it? That every person has their story, their linear story, and to disrupt any of that. (laughs) I wrote that whole Pieces of Eight thing about that, didn't I? You did, yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. (laughs) But I think that's quite poignant. Should we score it, or has anybody else got anything else to bring up? It's obviously better than I thought it was. (laughs) I still still think... um, I think the ideas are great. And I found the first half really funny, mm. but it's still, it was still kind of low key. I think the way it was presented was low key. I think it does that deliberately, but I think the way they, <clears throat> they're not always successful at this, but the way both Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat have organised their series is so that you'll get episodes towards the end that tell you something about what you're watching, but do it in such a light way that you don't really notice it. Mm. So I think, <clears throat> and like I said, two weeks ago we had um, The Girl Who Waited. Oh, And just before that, two weeks before that, you'd had The Hitler Paradox, which is telling you something about the arc. The Girl Who Waited, which is giving the arc an ambiguity. Because like I said, um, that was reversing what happens in Let's Kill Hitler and showing that it can be open-ended so you don't know how the series is going to end. And then closing time comes in and it doesn't tell you something about the arc but it tells you something about the character. And I th- I think it's less <coughs> necessary maybe than some of those other episodes but I still think it fits its spot nicely. I think it tells a really good story and it tells it in a really light way mm. that sort of deceives you into thinking it's not really done very much. But I don't know, I, I like that. Mm. That's one of my favourite kinds of Doctor Who, I think. So I think I gave it a nine before, but I'm giving it a nine now. I really like it. Mm. Simon? I think I probably gave it an eight before and I'll give it an eight now. I I, I can't latch on to it like I would. Mm. Anything. And I've probably... If I'm honest, I've probably given worse episodes eight out of ten. It probably deserves more, but it's it's the emotional impact it's had on me. Considering it's an emotional subject, I don't feel like it's really yeah. It's it's slightly <clears throat> benign. Is that the right word? It feels yeah. slightly benign. It's doing everything it should do, but it doesn't actually move me, mm. which is an odd thing, really. So I'll give it an eight. All right, that... I'm giving it a seven. Okay. So we've given it an average of eight. Do you know reminded me of, though, seeing James Corden on there, is uh, I recently watched the um, improv episode of Car Share. Have you watched any Car Share? No. Peter Kay? Um, I've seen it. I've not, I haven't seen the one you're talking about. No, no. I mean, it's really great, and you see how good Peter Kay is. And you think, I just immediately think, what a waste. In Doctor as much Hill. as I love Love Monsters. I think he was great as, is it Victor? Mm. Yeah. And then... Rubbish as the monster. Yeah, yeah. But you think about it, Peter Kane in a role like James Corden, it'd be absolute mustard. It'd be really good. Mm-hmm. So whether he could have another chance, I Is don't it know. Absolute mustard. Have you never heard of that phrase? No. Where something's just really great. No. Fried gold, mustard. I've heard of fried gold. That's yeah. a space thing. Yeah. But no, absolute mustard. No. Yeah. yeah. 
that, might, that might be a wartime thing because I think it was my dad used to say it. Mm. Okay, well, it's probably a southern thing as well. Then. Probably southern, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we had mustard up north. Mustard gas. Yeah. I once tutored somebody about the First World War. We used to put coal dust on sandwiches just to give them something in between the bread. And they um, one of the one of the things on the the syllabus was mustard gas, and she couldn't remember what mustard gas was, so she thought it was custard gas, and then she went through marmite gas because she knew it became with an M. And so I was kind of trying to prompt her, almost, almost, but I actually wanted her to stop custard gas. Custard gas sounds great. I'd say methane gas is probably marmite. Methane you either love it or hate it, depending who's done it. <sighs> All right. <clears throat> Sorry, lowering the tone. Any other orders of business then before we move on? Uh, anybody seen any? We did the. Um... Did I, I talked about. We didn't talk about the. No, you didn't. I didn't talk about mm. annihilation. No, because we were going to, and then I realised that we'd got into the Avengers, and we said we weren't going to do anything else after. So, Annihilation is one of those films that I ordinarily wouldn't watch. So let's say what it is for anybody who doesn't realise. Well, it's 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 obviously an American movie starring Natalie Portman. Can't remember who the director is. Right. Okay. Let's go back to basics. Yeah. It's Alex Garland who wrote things like The Beach and The Tesseract, and. Um, then went into writing scripts for Danny Boyle and did Sunshine and 28 Days Later. Okay. And then his debut as writer-director was Ex Machina. And this was going to be his follow-up to Ex Machina. And the studio got cold feet. So in the end, it was sold off to Netflix. That's right. It got so an American premiere. theatrical release, didn't it? It's just in this country it didn't. I, I it, don't think it did. Well, it might I think, have had a very small. Yeah, I think it might have had a very limited one. Mm. So that it was. Um, so that it was. Um, what's the word when you're uh, when you can be up for the Oscars? That's what I'm looking for. Eligible. Mm. Yeah, I think maybe it had a very small thing, so it'd be eligible for being technically a theatrical release. But mm. I don't. Mm. I think it pretty much just been fobbed off on Netflix. Now we've said all that. Tell us about the film. <coughs> um, well, uh, where do I start? It, it, obviously, it's kind of psychological. Natalie Portman is uh, uh, a somebody who teaches in a, a college. She te- teaches biology, but she's had war uh, or had army experience. And you find out the start of the film that her partner, who's also in the army, went off on a mission uh, twelve months previously, disappeared, and disappeared. And then he turns up again. And I'm not going to say any more than that, other than there's, there's this phenomenon that's happening where there is a thing called the shimmer. And that's part of the premise, so we can yeah. talk a little bit about so that. So we know the mission is to do with the, the shimmer, and, and Basically, people have team. gone in there and not come back out. Is the team made up entirely of women, or is that It right? is, yeah. Yeah, so a team made up entirely of women. Basically, the film is, there's this thing, a portal of some kind, mm. and a team of women go into the portal and the film is what happens to them once they've gone through mm, mm. about which we shan't so is it any good I think it's amazing really? it's amazing and as I say it's not my sort of film I don't like watching <clears throat> the thing because I don't like any of that body horror but yeah visually body horror mm. but so you're saying that I'm visually fashioned. there's body horror you've given it away <laughs> well <coughs> I think that's part of the the, the, part well, of it it's a very small part of it but actually, what comes out of it is something far more psychological and far more meaningful, actually, as to the human condition and um, the idea that we are physical creatures. I, I, I found it quite affecting in a way that I didn't expect it. I expected to be slightly horrified by it because there is a horror aspect to it. But actually, I came out at the end of it feeling quite... Uh, crying, uh, is what you're trying to say. Crying. Crying? Yes. No, I didn't cry. Oh. No. Oh, come on, Simon. Something wrong no, with I, you. I, no, I don't think it's an emotional thing, but I, I think it's a far more... Um, oh, I don't know what the word is, really. Philosophical? Yeah, philosophical, maybe. It's to do with kind of biology and um, evolution and where we are as a species and the fact we are a species alongside other ones on the planet. Well, look so, at what Daddy um, <clears throat> Alex Garland's done, and that is kind of one of his things, isn't it? Things mm. like Ex Machina. Yeah, Ex Machina. I mean... It, yeah, I wouldn't... Sunshine? Did I like it more than Ex Machina? 
I think I probably did. I mean, there's there's elements to it. You know, it's very much like kind of Predator, that kind of feel, that same sort of um, suspense kind of thing, you know, when people start getting picked off and no. that kind of stuff goes on. So yeah, there's enough there to keep any kind of fan happy, I think. Has he turned Natalie into... Portman is amazing in it. I like Natalie Portman. Yeah. She's... She, that's been a long time coming with me. You know, I loved her in Leon. Yeah. Um, Did you never saw Beautiful Girls, though? No. I see she's even better in that. Mm, mm. And that's when I knew she was going to be a great actor. Mm. And, of course, uh, her husband is played by Poe Dameron. I can never remember his name. Is it Oliver something? Uh, uh... Right. No, dead air. Nobody yeah. remembers. Doesn't matter. <laughs> People know who The guy plays Poe Dameron, yeah. yeah. He's always good. So, Danny, I keep saying Danny Boyle, Alex Garland, mm. I haven't seen Ex Machina, but I've seen all the things he did before, and I haven't liked any of them. Oh. Okay. Because I think he has great ideas, mm. but I think there's just something a bit cynical and nasty about his execution of them. Has that changed? That's certainly not. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Oscar, not Oliver. Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't get any feel any cynicism in this at all. Really. Was there an ex machina? I still haven't got around to seeing that. I will do. There's cynicism in, in as much as uh, the whole Frankenstein aspect to it. I suppose. I mean, cynicism in the writing is mm. he is he saying because I with things like the beach and the tesseract and with sunshine and even I love Twenty Eight Days Later, but even that I think. They've said, right, here's a great idea. And the way they've exploited it is really cynical. Because I don't think it really says anything except for, oh, look at what cool filmmakers we are. And there's a place for that, Mm. right? And I love that film because Mm. I think that film hits the jackpot on doing that thing. Mm. But I don't think it says anything else other than, look at what cool filmmakers we are. I think this is a stronger film in as much as I have got that kind of hangover thing of thinking about it afterwards. Mm. There are certain films where, you know, while you're sitting there in the cinema, you're watching it and then you don't think about the film at all afterwards. But this I've been thinking about quite a lot, which I didn't expect because Ex Machina... uh, as much as that's kind of doing, giving the same message as humans and things like that, as most of those things are, where we talk about artificial intelligence, I didn't come out of that thinking, "Oh yes, we really must stop making robots." It, that, I think you're right. I think that was just a beautiful film, but it wasn't designed to say anything more. I don't, mm. I don't think it achieved in saying anything more. But this, I think, does. Maybe it's my own brain. I don't know. Well, maybe he's maturing. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. It mm. felt like it had substance. Um, yes, because I think that's Danny Boyle's career. I think it's all style and no substance. I, and, and some people will look at this and take from this that it being another alien movie, you know, that, that monster, a monster movie. But it isn't really. It's um, it's it's a lot more sinister than that, really. And I think it has got more in common with a thing than than Alien, mm. other than the obvious. So yeah, no, I recommend it. Well, wow. Considering it's there sitting on Netflix, I just think it's a bargain. Yeah. If you've got Netflix. But it's certainly worth paying a month's worth just to watch it. All right. Right, okay then. Uh, well, we'll knock it on the head for tonight. Oh, Lost in Space. Oh, that's the Lost in Space series. Have you watched the whole thing? Yes. Both of you? Yes. And you both enjoyed it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you okay. watched the last episode, didn't you? I have now, yeah. Yeah. It's really. Well I tried done. to hold back on the last episode because the second this penultimate episode was brilliant. Yes, the, the, the robot in that was really good. Yeah, was, yeah. I had an idea about the robot in that, but I'd completely forgotten it. Where's Lost in Space? That's on Netflix as well, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. God, I've only had hours in my days. <laughs> I just don't. <clears throat> right. Okay. Then till next week. Next week. If everything goes to plan, will be a treat for me, not for the rest of you. And the week after that, as long as everything goes well, we'll reconvene and do the wedding of River Song. Mm-hmm. And maybe 20 minutes of wrap-up on Series 6. I've got to say, though, for the series that everybody hates, we've been scoring everything pretty highly. <clears throat> we'll, see how, uh, we'll see how it ends in a fortnight's time. Mm-hmm. Until then, I was J.R., 
I was Matt. I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. Really straight and yeah. slightly creepy. But, but all the joints are there on the mouth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it plays on it because his face starts cracking apart during That's the right. dream. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's anomalies. Oh. What about. I might buy you a month on Netflix and you'll binge on stuff. I won't because I don't have the time. Mm. If, I, if I had the time, I'd take the month's free trial yeah. and then see whether. But I just don't have the time. Mm. I don't have the time to buy. The films I want to watch that I've been buying for myself. Mm, mm. That one that Andrew Smith talked about. Hunt for the Wildebeest. Yeah, Hunt yeah, for the Wilder People. Like yeah, yeah, where have yeah. I heard about that? Somebody really raved about that. Andrew Smith. Yeah, on Facebook. Andrew, yeah, somebody else was talking about it. Oh, really? It might have been on a podcast or something, yeah. I think it's probably just turned up on Netflix, so people have just been watching it. It's, it's been there for a while. Oh, has I it? think because it, it predated, so it was what Taiko Waikiki did before Thor Ragnarok. Oh, that's... Yeah, so, oh, that's so right. maybe it's because of him that people have been seeking it out. Well, that's, you know, that's why I'm tempted to watch it. Well, he, he raved about it, mm. so I looked online, and the Blu-ray was going for about three quid, so I picked up a copy. Hoping to watch it this weekend, actually, because I've got a couple of nights this weekend where I might be able to watch films. I've got a review film coming, so that'll have to be one of them. But if I do get two nights to watch films, that'll mm. be the other one I watch, so I'll find out. Is it Han Solo soon? Is it mm. next week? Yeah, I think so. And Deadpool 2 is out. I've heard well. nothing apart from somebody, somebody walked, our plasterer walked in and said, Han Solo, nothing but five star reviews, apparently. Wow, that's good news. But I don't know what papers he reads. Yeah, where can you get five star reviews from? Because they embargo the Disney embargo the reviews till the film's oh, released. Well, maybe a plaster of BS. That's weird. Yeah. Well, I've seen Might I've be. seen reactions to it already, and I've read reactions to it. So yeah. maybe it's been. Well, I don't know. You wouldn't have had you wouldn't have had actual reviews. I don't think. I mean, if you had actual reviews, mm. we'd have read them. We'd have seen them, right? Mm. Mm. <laughs> It's oh. interesting that this whole reaction to the actor and everything like that. I mean, yeah, I think he looks perfect, to be honest. Well, until somebody pointed out the other guy, I was like, fine, fine. Yeah. But then I thought it could be like James Bond. But then they point to the other guy, and you look at what the other guy's done, mm. and he's literally done two minutes of acting, which was an impersonation of Harrison Ford mm. in a flashback scene. Mm. It's like you can't base a. Because when you, if you're doing two minutes of a movie, mm. you only have to be in the character for those two minutes. If you could sustain it, mm. I mean, they must have looked at hundreds of people for Han Solo, right? Mm. They must have looked at this guy because he did this film like two or three they years must have ago, done screen right? Screen tests as well, and yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so presumably, this guy was on their list, and they chose somebody else. Mm. They didn't choose somebody else for no good reason, right? So, I mean, I don't mean to sort of denigrate or belittle the guy, no. but patently, if they chose somebody else, and he must have been on their list. And you can't you can't get much from a trailer. And no, it's not about what he looks like, it's about whether he captures the spirit of the character. Yeah. And it's almost better if he doesn't look like Harrison Ford, because then you spend the entire film thinking, oh, he looks yeah. just like Harrison Ford. He's almost going to become a new character, <laughs> yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Yes. To... Yeah. I see, this is, yeah, this is my philosophy. Mm. If it's like this is the same thing with the recons versus the animations, mm. I'd rather watch an animation because when you're watching the animation, you don't spend the entire time thinking about how the recon fits what it would have looked like. But in, with the animation, you just watch the story. Mm. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, Elton Town and Jones. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the recons have a place, but if I want to sit down and watch the story and just immerse myself in the story, I'd rather do it with an animation. Yeah. It's not the same experience as watching no. the live. Sometimes it's better than watching, well, watching yeah. the live episode. And if David Bradley had been doing a William Hartnell impersonation and had been trying to be exactly the same as William Hartnell, mm. 
all the way through twice upon a time, yeah. you wouldn't have been able to watch the story because you'd have been watching the impersonation. Mm. Or Richard Herndon. Yeah, actor. yeah, yeah. He does the same thing. Yeah. And it's that whole thing about essence. So you can have the essence of a character without actually looking like them or... Behaving like them. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the same thing with Han Solo. I don't want him to be a young Harrison Ford. As I was saying about James Bond, you can have the essence of James Bond without being a... But <laughs> if Roger Moore had come in and just it's done a short... Of essence of James Bond being yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, but if <laughs> Roger Moore had come in and just done a Sean Connery impersonation... That would have been better. Well, it would have been fun <laughs> for about 20 minutes, but it would have been diabolical. <laughs> yeah. And same as if Patrick Trown had come yeah, in and yeah. just tried to be William Hartnell back in 1966. Mm-hmm. And in some ways they've already... They've already had a sort of trial run with the Star Trek reboot, because that's where that's where they take these iconic characters and then they then they put other actors in. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I very I had nothing to do with any of the Star Star Trek forums, but I don't remember there being a big hoo ha about. I think there was, was well, not, there? probably not when yeah. nothing like well, Kurt. <clears throat> it was, but after the film's been released, and I think it was generally liked. There's probably the first one, elements, yeah. of, elements of Star Trek fandom that didn't like. I'm sh- I'm pretty sure there were. Well, and I'm pretty sure obviously, were. yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's Star-, Star Trek. Are there elements of Star Trek fandom well, that yeah. didn't like? <laughs> dot dot dot. Yes, of course. <laughs> I know, but I mean, I think there was. If I remember rightly, there was a fairly big fuss among the usual minority, and then I think that stuck. But. As a non-Star Trek fan who watched that first Star Trek film, you go in and after about five minutes, you're not thinking about Shatner and Nimoy and McCoy anymore. You're just um, Mm. watching the film and enjoying the people who are in it. And with the Han Solo film, that's what it's got to be, isn't it? 